Welcome back to the CMO Podcast and our series on Deloitte's Global Marketing Trends. In this second episode, I will be delving into the trend in Deloitte's Global Marketing Report behind designing a human-first data experience and supercharging customer service with AI. Powerful stuff, which we all need to learn much more about. First, I'm joined by an energetic Michelle McGuire Christian, a principal at Deloitte Digital. She is responsible for the go-to-market strategy, deployment of assets, and overall growth of the U.S. business. I wanted to talk to Michelle to get a real sense of what Deloitte's countless hours of research and development uncovered about designing a human-first data experience and supercharging customer service through AI, and how a human-first data experience can be implemented. All right, ready to go? Good luck. Have fun. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) Michelle, you have a very big job title. So before we jump into this study, tell us a bit bit about what you do day-to-day when you are not working on the Global Marketing Trends Report. (laughs) So my day job, as it were, I'm a principal in our Deloitte digital practice, and I lead what is called our experience management practice. So the use of data AI ML to drive meaningful brand engagement across advertising, marketing, and commerce. And I want to start with this global marketing trend study. You and your team at Deloitte have done this remarkable study, over a thousand executives, mostly C-level over like 10,000 consumers. So it's a big, big, big study. So the first thing I'd like to ask you is, you've been very, very involved with the team that has brought this forth. Any surprises in this study this year for you? Anything that's been really personally relevant to you? I would not say surprising. I would say um, maybe affirming, which is Mm -hmm. we have this uh, supposition that more and more the end-to-end lead to loyalty experience will be driven by data. And whether that's acquisition, it's engagement, it's loyalty, that data will be core to every part of the experience. And even some of the non-traditional areas of focus like creative. You would think that data would be the 180 degree opposite Mm -hmm. of um, data, but it's at the intersection of creative content that's informed by data. We're seeing a lift in um, engagement across all spectrums um, because when you use the data to inform what you put in front of a consumer, so right message, right time, right place, obviously, but it's more granular than that around creativity, which is what is the background color? What is the VO? What is the the message? And how do you create that in a way that is multidimensional so that you're able to compile that um, as you kind of traverse across, you know, digital and out of home and OTT, you're able to use that data to create those messages that actually are sticky and personalized. And I think personalization is probably one area from this study that kind of just affirmed what we were thinking, which is customers like it when it's applicable to them, but they don't like it when it's creepy. So (laughs) leveraging data to do that was affirming in the study for me. 
Do you think we're still, as an industry, too afraid of bridging this creativity and data gap? I mean, it's been the topic at every conference for the last 10 years. And the way you just described it, it's a beautiful thing to be curious and to use the data and to use all the methodologies we have for rapid testing to just do better work that resonates more and moves the business and, and delights people more. Do you think do you think we're still struggling with that? You know, I have an actual specific example that I think says we're no longer struggling with that. So uh, we worked with Sony Pictures Entertainment about a couple years ago uh, on their Zombieland Double Tap title, which they were releasing for a home entertainment window. And they came to us and said, we want to market. Everybody knows the brand. We can identify people who love zombie movies on the Internet. That's like, you know, motherhood and apple pie. But how can we use data from social and key trends to insert ourselves into the conversation around topical cultural moments? And we said, we absolutely have a plan for that. So it was, how do you take topical, almost real time, like within 72 hour trends and align segments of the movie that were hilarious. If you like a zombie movie, I mm -hmm. highly recommend. It's very funny. That were funny, that kind of could be paired based on the data of what people were saying with real time copy updates inserted into social that moved the needle in a way that had outperformed their business as usual creative. So we basically did a bake-off between um, their standard agency creative and we took social data and put the creative in place in about 72 hours. So on a Monday, we would look at the trend. On Tuesday, we would create the... Um, the actual ad, and then on Wednesday, it would be in market. And it was a three-week flight, and to a almost to a asset or an ad, they outperformed the business as usual creative by about 40%. It's a great case. Yeah, great. so I think we're there. I think if we yeah. align to... Um, a process. I think sometimes also marketers, they know they have to get legal sign off. They know they have to get agency sign off. They know they have to go through this process. So it, it has to go hand in hand with a revised agile process mm -hmm. that enables you to get in market faster and that moves the needle on the performance of that ad and that you're measuring it and optimizing it in real time. Those three things have to work together in order to kind of realize the promise of creative and data together. Now, Michelle, the Global Marketing Trends Report calls out a big trend, the importance of designing a human-first data experience. Those are a lot of big words. So I want you to take that apart for us. What exactly does it mean to design a human-first data experience? Yeah, so I'll back it up and give you a little bit of history around when we created experience management as a business, it was intended to enable marketing to elevate the human experience. It was intended for commerce and advertising to elevate the experience. And that concept is around um, how do we engage with our customers at a human level, right? For ages, we've called it personalization. But we said, hey, if we take a step back, it's really about how do you engage with me as a human 
And what does that mean? And what does it look like for me, Michelle, mom of three who, you know, might be in the market for a new car? How do you, in fact, create an entire experience, not just an ad? How do you create a lead to loyalty experience that speaks to me and ultimately selfishly moves us down the funnel faster so that we're spending less money to acquire new consumers, that we're getting folks to part with dollars in a in a fashion that they're comfortable with, but it shrinks that funnel in a way that doesn't extend over lar- large periods of time and that you're able to track me and understand me and my behaviors in order to predict what I'm going to do next or what I want next. So I've used this example of everybody's had this frustrating experience of trying to complete some sort of activity online, right? Whether it's I'm entering my credit card or I'm Mm -hmm. searching for something relative to help or product, and it won't happen on the website. In a human first experience, you've collected that data and you've funneled it downstream, leveraging data science to predict, what am I going to do next? Am I going to use the chat bot? Am I going to call the call center? Am I going to go out on social media and, (laughs) you know, revenge post about it Mm -hmm. because I've had a bad experience? So using that data and having it inform what me as a human is going to do next so that when I do pick up the phone and I call the call center, the agent on the other line is presented with the information needed to provide a superior customer experience that resolves the issue that I'm having. So that would be an agent picks up the phone versus making me re-enter my information a thousand times. And the agent says, Michelle, I realize that you're having a hard time entering your credit card. Let me get that from you. And oh, by the way, here's a 10% discount because you did not have a frictionless experience. And then me as a human, that's all I want you to do is provide an experience that manages my expectation, makes it easy for me to complete my task, and let me walk away with a feeling of you value me not only as a consumer, but as a busy mom who has things to do. And maybe it was I was distracted because of this experience. Make it better for me to engage with your brand. Now remember, Deloitte surveyed over 11,000 500 people to get a good grasp on what information consumers found helpful while making a purchase. Their responses help us better understand the balance between helpful and the nasty, invasive data collection. For one thing, people hate and found it concerning when it appeared their device was listening to them. However, more than half found it helpful when a brand they regularly shopped with alerted them about sales. I get it. I hate it when I think I'm being listened to, but people want brands to be useful at the right time and in the right way. Navigating the consumer privacy landscape is just increasingly difficult. Yet we also know that using consumer data transparently and always with people's needs in mind can lead to better decisions and more helpful brand relationships, absent the invasive factor. Building trust is hard. And we found some patterns across all scenarios, which Michelle and the authors explained. What did you learn from consumers in this study about data collection? How do they see it? What, how do they draw the line between invasive and 
and helpful. What did what did you learn? I I literally have pulled up the thesaurus and looked for what the equivalent of creepy is about a hundred times because that's the word that consumers go to is creepy, right? Um, and sometimes that it's so so creepy that they say things like, "I know my phone is listening to me." They literally feel like it's following them around the internet, right? So there is a fine line between personalization and what consumers deem creepy. I think that obviously some of that goes away when third parties are deprecated, but that then drives from a marketer perspective, the need for first party data. So I have to get to a place where I am nurturing a lead in a way that uh, draws folks down the funnel to part with PII. So this kind of stop mid funnel of, hey, I'm going to share with you something about me in an effort to create a more personalized experience. That becomes the golden ticket for marketers in a cookie-less world because you can no longer rely on aggregated DMP data that effectively goes away when a cookie is deprecated. So as marketers, I think that first party data rule drives them to a point where they are thinking more and more about things like customer data platforms. How do I create an environment that is um, enabling data ingest, data cleanse, hygiene to create that golden record that I can then repurpose throughout my own ecosystem and use downstream in um, on ad platforms by creating lookalike models based on my first party data. So um, I think that that evolution of the first party first party data record as the key to all <laughs> kind of keys of the kingdom is something that marketers should take away from this study. Your report had some interesting insights about consumers seeing companies as competent or not competent regarding how they handle their information. And and you cited data that companies who are seen as competent are typically twice as likely to gain data from consumers that companies that are not as competent as consumers see them. So what can you expand on that a little bit for us? What what do consumers mean when they say a company is competent? How can a company get more competent in, in how they handle data and, and use data? So could you riff on that a bit for us, Michelle? Sure. Yeah, I think there's an element of trust in what we deemed competent or competency. This idea of I trust you as a brand to take my information and use it in a way that is obviously compliant and is in line with my preferences, and that if I am to come to you at some later date in exchange for a sale or to just retrieve my data back, I have faith and confidence that you know what to do and how to use that data. So for example, if I tell you a little bit about me because I'm in the market for a car, I've told you that I'm interested in electric please in the future, don't contact me about large SUVs that are gas powered, right? So there has to be that element of, I'm going to give you a little bit, but you have to give me something in exchange. So I think that's a core 
capability is that idea around trust. And inside of trust, there are dimensions like transparency, humanity, competency, that, you know, you could break it down to each of those elements that say, um, are you being transparent with me around how you're using my data? Um, when you do use my data, are you telling me you're leveraging data I've previously provided? And when I choose to say, please no longer use my data, you provide it to me in a timely fashion, and it's in a way that is manageable and portable to somewhere else. If I wanted to take it to a different account or a different provider, whatever that looks like, there has to be that level of competence to be able to do that. And and by competence, I mean technical competence, because searching for data in a giant brand ecosystem can sometimes be difficult. So this willingness or this desire to... Um, take my data and go elsewhere has to be something I trust you will be able to do. We began this conversation by talking about how to create a human first data experience. And I want to end this conversation with that. What's your big one piece of powerful advice to the senior marketers listening to this podcast on what to do to create a human first data experience for their brand? I would say the single most powerful advice is Start collecting first-party data now while you can, <laughs> because shortly it's going to become more difficult, right? In the next year after cookie, third-party cookies are deprecated across browsers, you are going to be in a place where you're no longer going to be able to buy data that's been embargoed. So now, right now is the time to start building your own competency, garnering data from across your ecosystem and get a plan for how you're going to activate that first party data on your own. I know it's scary and we've long relied on our agency partners to help us do that in a bit of a black box fashion, but the time is now to pull that back inside your firewall, partner with your IT counterparts to start to build that capability today so that when we get to deprecated cookies, you have what you need to begin or to further engage your customers in a way that is contextualized and personalized to them. Wonderful advice, Michelle, and urgent advice, as you said. <laughs> right. TikTok. No, so, no, thank you. And thank you for this discussion. It was, it was marvelous. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed that chat, that conversation with Michelle. It was so insightful to hear her takeaways for senior marketing execs. Next, I wanted to talk to a CMO who is implementing these insights and finding success. So, I invited Nick Emery, CMO of Crown Resorts in Australia. My guest Nick has implemented many of these strategies Michelle talked about and has great learning and great energy for us about the important topic of implementation. Nick, welcome to the CMO Podcast. For those listeners who are not from Australia, I'd like you to start with, tell us a bit about Crown Resorts as a company, the business you're in, the purpose that drives you, just to give a bit of context for our conversation. Certainly. Um, so uh, Crown Resorts is uh, the biggest um, in integrated resorts entertainment company in Australia. We have three properties, um, one in Melbourne, one in Perth, and one in Sydney. Um, we have um, 
many, many restaurants. We've got three of the best hotels in Australia. Of the three Forbes five-star hotels in Australia, we've got two of them and we expect to have another one very shortly. Um, and our our business is creating exceptional experiences for customers. We have over 30 million visitors a year across the resorts and we are in the business of selling fun. Um, you know, as a marketer, having spent my time in banking and telcos and energy, um, it is, you know, it's it's something else to be in the business of creating experiences that are, you know, changing what somebody's day is like. That's beautiful. The business of fun. So tell us a bit more about your scope and your responsibilities in this uh, great business of fun that you were immersed in. <laughs> Certainly. Um, so, um, and I will, I will say that's fun and but within the, uh, the, uh, the boundaries of making sure that we are also doing the right thing for our customers and the communities that we operate in more broadly. Um, so my remit, so my job title is Chief Customer and Digital Officer. Um, and within my remit, I have essentially the uh, the task of working out what our customers want, working out how we can meet those needs in a way that is going to make money for us as well as creating value for those customers, and then building all of the tech and um, marketing that underpins delivering that to our customers. So within my remit, there's um, more traditional marketing elements. Um, that's probably the smallest part. I have the digital channels. I have the rewards program, which is where the vast majority of our customers from a revenue perspective interact with the company. Um, it is also topical for this conversation because obviously we collect a vast amount of data through that and we have very easy channels to interact with our customers with. Um, but I also have all of information technology in my remit as well. So as we think about not only those digital customer-facing channels, but what's all the infrastructure we need behind the business in order to deliver that broader experience. All right, let's switch gears a bit into the Deloitte Global Marketing Trends Report. And one of the big seminal trends of the seven big trends they, they highlighted this year is what they're calling this human-first data experience and the need for companies to create a human-first data experience. So I'd like you to talk about that. What, does, what do those words mean to you? And would you say this is a trend that you would also say is one of the seminal trends in global marketing today? Yeah, I, so yes, I would. And I think, I think there are kind of two parts to that. Firstly, firstly, the tech is expanding and everyone gets excited about the tech, um, uh, but the tech is only a means to the end. And the end is the primary reason why it is a trend and it should and will continue to be a trend, which is it works. Right, so um, we uh, it works from a value to customer perspective, and it works from a value to business perspective. As we've moved from generic offers to personalised offers, we've seen our ROI on those offers and benefits we give to our customers increase threefold. And we were making good money on the offers before we did that. So, um, and the reason it works for us as a business, the reason that it returns positively, is because our customers like it. And we get that played back to us very, very clearly through customer experience. So um, so it, it is a trend. I think it started because people got excited about the tech, but it's it mm -hmm. will continue because it's the right thing to do for our customers and our business. I want to read you a quote 
because you're in this report, you're quoted in this report, and I want to read this quote to you, and it's a, it's a big one and it's a rich one. You say, to start, you have to put the data in one place and overlay it with a cloud-based customer relationship management system. This will help feed the critical parts of interactions our front-of-house staff need to do today to delight customers. That's a power quote, Nick. So I, I, I would like you to, to elaborate on that a bit. That's a, that's a biggie. I mean, we could probably write a chapter in a book about that. <laughs> well, it's nearly a chapter in a book in and of itself. It's a rather <laughs> right. long quote. Um, and I'll try, and, I'll try and make the response to your question a little quicker than that. Um, so data, data absolutely has to drive um, what you put in front of people and how you empower your front of house people in, in our world, um, service sales agents in other worlds, to uh, offer the right choices to customers to delight them. But to do that, you've got to get all the data in one place. And one of the things that uh, I've experienced in every business I've been to is that everyone throws their hands up in the air when you talk about getting all your customer data in one place and says, oh, it's impossible. We've tried it before. It cost us millions of dollars. We didn't get anything done, blah, 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 blah. The reality of the matter is that tech is now at a point where it's actually relatively easy to get all of your, to put a, a, a data lake in. Um, so we use BigQuery. Um, mm -hmm. And connect that up all, to all your horrible, unfriendly legacy systems and just suck that data in and get that data structured in such a way as you can start to understand um, single customer view, understand um, uh, the kinds of things that people respond to. And then you can quite easily attach other cloud-based um, kit to that. So for us, we're, um, we're a Salesforce shop in that respect or that's part of our stack and that's relatively easy in this day and age to connect that to a data lake like BigQuery. Now those two particular products or those two particular services are you know that's that's not necessarily a recommendation each company needs to pick what's right for them but we're in a world where you can do this stuff now you don't have to build your own database and then work out how to plug it into all of your systems and so that that you know we we knocked that whole thing over in probably twelve to eighteen months, and what that has provided is a once you've built the capability, the functionality can be added very very quickly. So you know eighteen months to build that, but then somebody comes to us and says, "Well, actually, we've got a whole bunch of customer interactions that we now need to do to ensure that we are um, you know identifying customers who need our help in one way, shape, or form. That could be." positive or it could be a you know a compliance thing um you know that is then a two or three month exercise to build out all of those interactions and so if you build that capability your ability to um to deliver all sorts of new customer experiences over time goes up tenfold we talked this term human first data experience could you from a crown resorts perspective could you tell me what that looks and feels like from a customer, you talked about personalization, of course, but what yeah. that look, looks and feels like from a customer and when you don't deliver it, what does that look and feel like? Yeah, okay, so <clears throat> I might start with the example of the best customer experience that we get played back in our, uh, to the tens of thousands of customer experience bits of feedback we get each year. The best micro experience, there are lots of kind of bigger ones like, you know, like did I have a good night out, day out, whatever. But the 
most um, the, the biggest single positive experience is birthdays, right? And that comes down to something very, very simple. Did we recognize it was your birthday when you visited us? Right? That's it. It's all it takes. Um, and then the single worst experience, kind of micro individual experience that we get in our customer feedback, and again, thousands of these um, uh, we get each year when we don't remember it's your birthday, right? So a very, very, very simple example of a moment of truth. And if we get it right, um, it is a hugely positive experience for the customer. And that is a really good example of two things. Firstly, the importance of personalization. We know how much we love it when we go into our local coffee shop or one of our favorite restaurants and they go, Jim, good to see you. Do you want your usual? Right? That feels yeah. really good. It's a really small thing, but it makes a really big difference. Um, so you, the human part of uh, personalization and why it works should be really apparent for all of us. But the second thing is that, that it shows how actually starting with your customer experience data um, is the jump-off point for where you're going to put your personalization into market, right? Because that will tell you where your pain points are, where your moments of truth are. So there's a comment in the report around kind of starting with with the journey design, and, and we feel very mm -hmm. strongly about that. Um, you start with your journey design, use your data to find your pain points and your moments of truth, and then importantly, you give that to your frontline staff, right? Because they are the ones who know how to make a customer happy and know what makes a customer angry, right? You get them to design the way that experience should be for that customer. And then it is your job as a marketer, as a digital person, as a tech person to engineer the people process technology to allow them to deliver. And it's that's actually your jump off point as you get into this. So giving away offers, we do that and we do use um, uh, AI to do that we use we use our data to work out you know what we should offer to people um, but making sure you've got a catalog of offers that extend into experiential things that you can put in front of customers because it's the experiential things which don't have a tangible physical value that they can look at and go that's 9.99 or you know 30 dollars worth of benefit or whatever it is um that's where you really change the world for your customers, but also in a way that changes the world from a return on investment perspective for yourselves. Hey, I want to talk a bit about data collection. You know, we've referenced it already and it's, it's at the root of everything. And you talked about how you've done that. You've got everything in the same place. How do you toe the line in getting the data without being invasive or creepy? So there are a couple of parts to the answer to that question. Firstly, we are because we are an experienced business and because our rewards program um, is, uh, is an intrinsic part of a lot of the experience that we provide to our customers, you get access to certain things, you get certain benefits, you get discounts, so on and so forth if you're a rewards member. We don't have to go asking for them to give us much data. Like pretty much everything that we need is visible because they are carding when they go to a restaurant, mm -hmm. go to a hotel or whatever. So we don't need to get creepy about asking for it. In terms of being creepy in terms of what we're putting in front of them, again, 
unlike other industries, they're kind of expecting this, right? So if you're yeah. a member of a rewards program, they are expecting, you are expecting to get um, a reminder that you're going to London and Paris um, and here are some other things that you can do when you get there. It's kind of, it's outside of the creepiness. If if we were putting these offers in front of you and you didn't know where we got the data from, that probably would be creepy. And I think it's, um, uh, it's in our industry, it's quite easy not to fall into the creepy trap. I think in industries, probably more FMCG, less service, that becomes harder. And in my experience, part of it comes down to offering the customer choice. So you don't need to be explicit that, that Jim, this is what you want. It's Jim, here are three things that we think you might be of interest in, and then and then you can select. Um, and that's kind of less creepy. And then the third part, which which I'm sure you've heard from from other people, is there is increasingly an expectation that that data will be used to give a benefit to the customer. But you need to be clear about the fact you're collecting it and what you're doing it for, and that this is the trade-off, right? So that they will get value if you provide this information. This is what we're going to use it for, and provide them with all the protections to opt out of it if you are getting creepy. This report underscored the importance of what they call competency in caring for people's data. And consumers really do care about that. They want to trust the people who hold their data. They want to be sure they are conf confident that they're handling the sensitive data in the appropriate way. I know it's easier in your industry, but is this a consideration for you? Do you feel like you need to uh, prove that to your customers or is it implicit? So how do you think about this whole concept of competency and reassuring people that the data in your hands is very well taken care of? Um, yeah, so the, there's probably two parts to the answer to that, the way we look at it as a business and the way that our customers see it. From a customer perspective, they expect us to have our act together to protect their data. And I think that's an expectation that um, that customers have of any business, but especially big corporates such as ourselves. From a business perspective, it is one of our number one um, focuses to make sure that we have fully mitigated any risk in and around that. In our industry, customers... Um, data is sacrosanct. Uh, and so we have a very large uh, set of technology processes and people to make sure that that data is protected. And we also have a large program to make sure that we are always evolving that. Because if we lose our customers' trust on data, that doesn't just affect you know, the cute experiences and marketing that we can do, that will affect whether or not people actually visit our properties. So yeah. it's a big thing for us and we take it incredibly seriously because our customers have given us that trust and we need to make sure that we don't breach that trust. I now want to sort of bridge into AI and we've already referenced it in the chat we've been having. You know, in, in what way does AI help you at Crown Resorts and tell us a bit of the story of when you started leveraging AI for better customer experiences and what that journey has been like till uh, up until today. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I, I will actually split it into two, two areas from a business perspective. I've talked a lot about the rewards customers, but we actually split our thinking from a customer perspective in terms of the activities that we do into two buckets. 
rewards members, and then what we call mass visitation. And the reason that's different is because with the rewards members, we do have this richness of data. We have one-to-one channels to interact with them through. Um, so we can get very tailored and we can use our front of house staff to interact with customers to find out what they want and deliver that. From mass visitation perspective, we are, you know, we're like any kind of big service company, right? We're reliant on people interacting with our digital assets, uh, interacting with our, um, that could be our website app. Um, it could be our, um, our digital comms that's out in market. So I'll answer that second one first. So um, we, um, we collect a lot of data as people hit our digital assets. One of our advantages is because of our scale versus smaller organizations, um, the vast majority of people who visit our properties would have actually touched one of our digital assets before they visit. Um, we collect that data and we have um, algorithms that kind of whir away um, in BigQuery to, to identify not individuals, but groups of people who are more likely to be interested in certain occasions. So it could be a big night out um, or certain assets. So it could be premium dining versus a sports bar versus a hotel, whatever that is, because this industry especially is personalized. It has to be personalization at scale. We've got people who come and spend $10 and we've got people who come and spend, you know, $1,000 in a night out. Um, And we've got, you know, assets and experiences that range from 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 very very unplanned and casual through to very planned and elaborate and so um it's physically impossible to pin the tail on that donkey manually uh, we have to use um these targeting models to work out you know what we're going to put in front of different people um so that's one part of it um on the member side we we have the data we um, we look at um, the behavior of customers. We look at what they, we think that means they might want. Uh, we put those offers in front of them and we test and learn. Um, and I think one of the principles, especially in the reward space, but it sits in both around AI, is don't overcomplicate it, right? You do not need to get super cute and build really, really complex algorithms. Start with the basics you know what are they what have they responded to in the past you know what's their value how frequently do they visit what are the kinds of things that could tell you what they might like um, at a really high level and you need to start at that high level and quite simplistic level because that's where you'll get the insight as to what in your range of offers is likely to be appealing to them. If you've built some incredibly sophisticated algorithm, it becomes much harder to actually work out what someone wants. Um, and that that it's the you know the discipline from you know back in the 80s where you get your first activity out there or set of activities out there, you put it in market, you see what works, and then you start to layer sophistication in after that. Um, and so that high level approach is how we approach it here. So our, you know, our current way of working out what people want is, you know, is is not super complicated. And we're adding more complicated bits to it as we find, you know, different groups of people who want different things. How about in customer service, Nick? How has AI helped you in that 
in that uh, domain. When people uh, reach out to you, they may have questions, they may have concerns, they may have follow-ups, may have suggestions. How do you leverage AI in that space? So in terms of, in terms of the response to customers when they are asking us about something, we don't use AI in that space. Um, we, um, everything goes through our customer service teams because that human interaction um, for, for triage and feedback has proven to be really effective. We will start to step into that world as we get down the track, if only from an efficiency perspective. Um, in terms of using data and AI more broadly in terms of our customer experiences, the approach is uh, similar to the one that I talked about earlier, which is we start with the frontline staff designing the experiences that they want to deliver to customers. And then we work out what we need to put in front of them to help them do that. And again, starting simple um, um, from a data perspective, we're not, you know, we're not at a point of using AI in any kind of sophisticated way there because at this point we haven't needed to. You know, what we get from, and I actually ran a workshop yesterday with um, with um, some uh, some of the VIP team in Sydney, um, what, what they want is to know um, how much, um, uh, what they can offer a customer um, and, uh, and to quickly be able to bring up information about what that customer might be interested in. So they don't, they don't want us to create a whole bunch of, you know, individual things to offer a customer. What they want is to know out of a menu of, say, 20 things that we could offer a customer, what three things are most likely to be of interest to that customer. And then they want to be able to have the conversation with the customer because the for all the AI we can build in the world, and it is powerful and it simplifies things for, for our people and it allows us to put better offers in front of our customers, the best people to um, to choose which segment they are in is the customer themselves, right? If you put choice in front of them, they will choose what they want. So the exercise in AI is not to get down to the single next best offer for us anyway, and it is different in different industries. The exercise is to get down to a list that is manageable from a customer choice perspective that either the customer can look at and make a decision or the um, the front of house service person can have that interaction and allow the customer to choose. Nick, as I have talked to you now for about a half hour, it's clear that you're in a culture that really values your people who are customer facing and certainly respects and values giving choice to the customer and is doing all the right things in terms of managing your data and collecting your data. So any tips on the culture that one needs to create to keep the customers feeling like there's a human-centric approach to them, and yet you're using all the best partners and technologies to work toward efficiency and also tremendous customer delight and customer loyalty? Uh, that is a great question. And um, I think, so this is my first time in um, in a hospitality world. Uh, I've been four and a half years in this role now. Um, and the thing that, that amazes me every day is how our nearly 20,000 staff, um, you know, our people love creating a great experience for our customers. 
and they they really do. It's something that's really special for them. And having people who want to actually deliver a great experience is um, is the start point of how you create great experiences and it permeates the culture and it permeates the culture all the way through to the executive team in the business. And it's it's something to behold compared with other industries that, that I've been in. And one of the big things to sustain that is to make sure that from a culture perspective, you're creating um, an environment where they feel um, safe to operate and empowered to deliver for the customer. And from a and from my perspective, um, from a technology and a customer um, and data perspective, it's making sure that we remove as many of the barriers that they've got to delivering on that experience, be that technology or process, um, and that we're giving them as many of the things as we can to help them deliver that because this is what they love doing. And the more we can do to help them do that, the more that creates a culture where they can deliver on the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning. Nick, final question. For other senior leaders who are on this journey to create a human-first data experience and to delight customers, what's your one piece of powerful and pithy advice? Go talk to your peers. Everyone is trying to do this. Everyone is at different points on this journey. And your, your peers will have solved for bits of this. You would have solved for other bits of it. The most useful thing that I've ever done, and I've done a lot of this over the last three or four years, is talk to other chief customer officers, digital officers, marketing officers, and found out what their problems are and how they're solving for them. Um, and you know what? Everyone wants to help each other. Um, and, and your peers are the best people to work out how to solve all these problems. Thank you, Nick. This has been absolutely marvelous. And what a job you have. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. You too. And this has been this has been really good fun. Uh, and likewise, what a job you have too. Enjoy enjoy your <laughs> next Asia call. I agree with that. In addition to implementing human first data strategies, which is what we have just talked about with Michelle and Nick, the next natural progression is using that data to better serve customers and address their needs. AI makes that possible. But with AI, we also need to find a balance. As AI becomes core to customer experiences, teams are trying to find the right mix of talent that elevates and integrates the creative and the analytics. With data, there is a delicate balance between helpfulness and overuse. Marketers need the data to create effective marketing plans, but they also need consumer trust. And cultivating trust means cultivating strong relationships. And a big part of cultivating trust, consumers want to know that companies are competent in managing their data and able to keep it secure. We also learn the importance of using artificial intelligence to create delightful and rewarding experiences for the consumer. AI will likely be a global marketing trend for the foreseeable future. After all, its purpose is to help marketers and customer service leaders create an end-to-end, win-win, delightful customer experience. I hope you enjoyed our series on Deloitte's global marketing trends and found these conversations and insights valuable. There's a lot of information in the Deloitte report that you can use to create your own successes 
and grow your business. To see Deloitte's full report, go to Deloitte.com.